Our second reading comes from the book of James. We'll begin in chapter 3, starting in the 13th verse. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial, sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have. So you murder, you covet, and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that the friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. This is the word of the Lord. You ever try to make a deal with God? All of us, I think, at different points have been tempted to do that. You know, God, if, if only this, then I'll do this. And sometimes even when we know better, we still kind of make those kind of deals. Well, one of those kind of deals didn't come out of his imagination, but came to him as it was recorded, uh, reported in the Christian Post this last week. Musician and frontman of the band Skillet tells the story of a time when uh, early in his career, the band was doing pretty well and a promoter came to him and said, you guys have, have the look. You've got the sound. Even your lyrics are capturing people's hearts. It's like you, you have the ability to take it to the next level, to really, to really become ultimately rich and famous. He said, there's just one thing you need to do. 
You need to disassociate yourself with Christianity. This Christian uh, connection is slowing you down. You need to disassociate and then then I'm not telling you, he says, as it's reported, to, you know, turn your back on your beliefs. Just think of how much good you'll be able to do when you're rich and well-known. Well, John Cooper uh, took those words from that promoter. Uh, I think he must have known that there were plenty of uh, Christian musicians in the world making an impact that weren't in the Christian circuit, but he took what that promoter said and brought it to his wife in the, in the bus that the band had there, and they prayed about it. And very quickly, they realized that that promoter's uh, exhortation, if you will, had the opposite effect on them. They were committed, even more so doubly committed at that point, to share what God had implanted in them, that to speak the word of truth as Christ had called them to. The thing is, is human ambition has a ceiling. It comes at the end of this life. But as we hear the difference between human wisdom and godly wisdom read for us in the scripture tonight, we find out that you and I have a calling to live this out. But often under trial and frequently under the temptation to seek our own ambition instead of that of God's. And by the way, if you're thinking to yourself, well, I've never had a promoter come make such a stark contrast for me. You and I, we have those kind of temptations all the time. To light our own fire instead of letting the fire of the faith that has been implanted in us shine its light. When that word is implanted in us, it produces heat. People around us can feel it. Do people feel the heat of the word implanted in you around you? This is the question that James asks us as we consider what it means to remain faithful and live out this call. What does it mean to to seek godly wisdom instead of the wisdom of this world? What does it mean to come under uh, the temptation like John Cooper did? There's every good worldly reason for him to follow that promoter's advice. Except for the wisdom that God had implanted in him and his wife. And so we'll take some time this morning in the book of James, briefly looking at chapters 2, 3, and 4. In James, uh, there's a pattern. It goes like this, A, B, C, C, B, A. Now, I'm not practicing my ABCs, but what I am showing you is a pattern. Remember last week we talked about the three themes in the book of James. A, that we are under trials. B, that we need to pursue wisdom and see we need to seek impartiality in particular when it comes to the poor and the rich and to share, in fact, God's mercy. And so 
introducing those, A, B, C. Now James, for the rest of the book, in the subsequent chapters, tackles them in reverse order, C, B, A. So in chapter 2, James is calling the church to live out the faith. And to do that without impartiality between rich or poor. And to share God's mercy that this is the way to let our faith be revealed demonstratively to the world. And he gives this incredibly radical picture of impartiality. It doesn't sound quite so radical to our ears today, but he brings to the forefront folks who had been faithful in living out their faith. One that would make sense, Abraham. Abraham, who took a step of faith to go where the Lord would lead him. God would bless him and expand his family, expand his wealth. Abraham makes sense as a great example for one who lives out their faith with good works. But then comes the shocking example. And what's shocking is she's listed at the same level as Abraham, Rahab. Rahab was not well off, most likely impoverished, prostitute. And yet she risked her life for God's people and it is recorded as faithfulness and the gift of response to the gift of faith. At the same level, shockingly, is Abraham as it's listed in the book of James. There is to be likewise no impartiality, James wants us to see, in the body of Christ. Obviously at the time they'd been believing the success stories of that promoter, that those who were really good were the ones who were successful. James wants us to know that the truth is it's a call to be faithful, whether rich or poor. And then, therefore, with that calling, to show God's mercy. Just as Jesus would call both rich, like Matthew, and poor, unknown fishermen. Whoever it may be, God is calling us to serve in the resources and the place that we are with impartiality in the church. And then to go on to share mercy with all those in need. A Lutheran scholar, C. Armstrong, puts it like this. Let's make certain that we know what faith means. That real faith isn't mere intellectual assent. Rather, it's trust in the giver, the giver God, who gives you something to trust in. And when we trust in it, we live out that faith. In chapter 2, James famously says, Faith without works is dead. And we talked about last week how those were just favorite words of Martin Luther's, right? Not really. It's because they were often misunderstood. Misunderstood to understand that 
Faith and works, in many ways, can't be separated. That the heat of that faith is going to be felt by those around us. Luther gets that and even understands that when he says that faith is a divine work. It makes us born anew to God. It kills the old Adam and makes us altogether different people in heart, spirit, and mind, in all powers. And it brings with it the Holy Spirit, living, busy, active, mighty. And this faith, he says, this faith, it's impossible, Luther says, to separate works from faith, quite as impossible as it is to separate heat and light from fire. And now you know where I get that heat analogy. When the word is implanted in you, it should be producing heat. And James says, if it's not, then you, he imperatively says, faith without works is dead. We find out, particularly in chapter 4, what to do about that. But the question for you and me this morning is to let it sit over us and read us. To folks around us, feel the heat of that word implanted in us. Another uh, friend, not so much, of Luther, John Calvin, puts it like this. Faith alone justifies, but faith that justifies is not alone. Faith and works can't be separated. It demonstrates itself in, in good deeds in the world. Or as Pastor Bruce wisely often quotes, uh, the philosopher and disciple leader, the late Dallas Willard, faith is opposed to works, but not to effort. We don't light the fire ourselves. The gift of faith justifies. God lights that fire. He implants that word. No more than the moon produces light, but it does reflect the light of the sun. And so should we. So should we. That light should be reflected in our lives. And what does that look like? It looks like mercy impartiality, and then chapter three, it looks like wisdom. And so he asked this question, who among you is wise and understanding? This rhetorical question, drawing on the Hebrew concept of chokmah, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Wisdom from the world looks a lot like that promoter. And wisdom from God as we hear described for us in this comparison between worldly wisdom from uh, the world and wisdom from the world uh, from God gets compared very starkly here. And what we find is that wisdom from God always brings peace and love and mercy for the other. In chapter 4, it puts it even more succinctly, and you can't help but see him comparing the Ten Commandments to our very lives. And quickly we get reminded that this is a battle, a battle, a spiritual battle within us. 
Like we heard in Ephesians 6, that we are double-minded, that we are often friends of the world as James preaches to the church instead of being friends of God. And when we are, we're an enemy of the other. It's not just that he's trying to uh, do that old English joke, there are two kinds of people in the world, right? What he's saying is that there's just ultimately only one way to wisdom. And how do we defeat that battle within us, that saint and sinner dichotomy that lives simultaneously? Well, chapter 4 tells us with another radical example. It's not by my might or your power or our good grit. It is by humility, humbling ourselves before the Lord. You see, my kids, and I suspect it's true for you too, and with those closest in your life, they don't see perfection when they see me, right? But I pray that by God's grace, they see someone pursuing godly wisdom and humbly seeking forgiveness, sometimes from them. Humility is the path to godly wisdom. And humility is the path of victory of that battle. A battle that is won for us. A fire that is lit for us. A word that is implanted in us. Not by us, but by the gift of faith. And so, when we understand what faith really is, then we see there's no conflict between faith and works. They work together. And the heat of that faith is felt by God's mercy among others. In fact, God's mercy is one of the chief ways that others experience the love of God. But we don't do this to get our salvation. So if we say, like Luther points out, oh, but I have done as much as I can possibly can, so I've done enough, and I hope that God will give me grace. We don't get grace because we've done enough. We do the deeds because we've received grace. We try to build the fire ourselves, it will burn out. But when we put our trust in the God who gives us that word, implants us in us, and humble ourselves before the Lord, that implanted word burns deeply and others feel that warmth. And so if others aren't feeling that warmth from your life, aren't seeing the fruit of that wisdom, as some have called this passage the fruit of wisdom in chapter 3, then we need to humble ourselves in repentance again and come anew to God's grace. Stop trying to light the fire yourself. And let that fire be lit in you by the Spirit of God. Trust in the implanted Word. No, works don't justify us. But faith without works is dead when that heat is not felt. And so we come humbly to the grace of God to transform us. May we be a church that the world feels the heat of God's mercy in us. And so we come to the one today who gives us this kind of gift, this 
kind of life. Amen.